Wasn't it an encouragement to see the highlight video of our graduating high school seniors? Uh, to see uh, the Lord's work in their life, to hear about their experiences and uh, some of the insights that they have and some of the advice that they're passing on to the underclassmen. Uh, I love that we do that video. It's, it's a huge encouragement. And uh, as you reflect on the advice that they gave, I want to give you some advice this morning from back in 1944. Back in 1944, C.S. Lewis gave an address uh, to a group of young people venturing out into the reality of life. And uh, this is recorded in uh, a work entitled The Inner Ring. How many of you have read The Inner Ring? Good, just a few people. So when I mess this up, you're not going to know any different and you're going to believe every word that I say. Uh, but no, you really should read The Inner Ring. It's contained in the book, The Weight of Glory and Other Addresses. One of the other addresses that's in the book is called The Inner Ring. And uh, in this address that, again, C.S. Lewis is delivering to a group of younger people venturing out into life, he describes this kind of social phenomenon that we're all aware of called The Inner Ring. Uh, the Inner Ring is this a network of people, these groups that we all strive to be included in, right? And uh, he says that, uh, he says, I believe that in all people's lives, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. I'm sure all of us can relate. You can think back maybe to your time in high school or college or junior high. You can think back to your early days and you can remember that desire, that motivation you have to be included in the inner ring, right? Um, this is one of the reasons why I think social media is so powerful today and why cancel culture is so powerful today because even years later, since 1944, we're still struggling with the same things. There are these inner groups, these inner rings of life and of society, and we desperately strive to be included in it. But if you were to read this address from C.S. Lewis, you would read that he identifies the irony. And the irony that Lewis identifies is that it's this desire to be in the inner ring that actually makes our life miserable. It's the desire to be included in these inner rings of society that actually makes our life miserable. And he says that it's this desire to be included that makes men who are not yet bad men do very bad things. It's this desire to be included in these inner rings of society that makes men who are not yet bad men do very bad things. We know this. And yet we continue to strive. He goes on to say that the solution to this problem of the inner ring is until you conquer the fear of being an outsider, he says, an outsider you will remain and the quest of the inner ring will break your heart unless you break it. He says the secret is to come to the point where you really don't care to be in the inner ring anymore. And he says what you'll discover is that almost accidentally you will find that you're surrounded by people like you who have common interests as you and you actually enjoy being around them. And he says, this is what we call friendship. And the irony, of course, is that's what we were really working towards and striving for all along. And uh, this morning, I want 
you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 as we consider this temptation, this desire to be a part of an inner ring. And as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 10, again, I think this desire, this longing is something that continues to stay with us. Even today, we have the phrase, the fear of missing out, right? The fear of missing out or FOMO. We're we're driven by this fear of missing out and we structure our lives to avoid the fear of missing out. And so we feel the pressure of being a part of the right schools or the right clubs or the right social groups because we don't want to miss out. Uh, and, And to a certain extent, this desire is really related to our desire for community. What we're ultimately longing for, what we're ultimately pursuing is a desire for community. And God created us with that desire for community. But what we're going to see here in Hebrews chapter 10, the good news that we have here is that you are already included in the ultimate inner ring. In the inner ring of the worshiping community of Jesus, you've already been brought near. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to see two realities of us being brought near in this inner ring, and then three responses Uh, This morning, we're continuing this series, this exalt series, as we talk about what it is to exalt God, what it is to worship Him. And we've talked along the way about our need to remember that He is risen, He is risen indeed, and that everything we're talking about ultimately is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. After that, we looked at Isaiah chapter 6, and we saw that Isaiah himself was caught up in this vision of heaven, and he saw this great chasm that exists between a holy God and sinful people, and this chasm that is only bridged by the sacrificial death, ultimately, of Jesus. The next week, we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and the emphasis of this idea of hearing the Lord of reminding ourselves over and over again of our love and our commitment to him. And that's what it is ultimately to exalt him, to worship him. Last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 4 and emphasized that word celebrate and the call, the challenge of the New Testament really to celebrate God all day, every day. And this morning, we're continuing this idea and focusing in on what it is to be a part of a true community, a loving community what we call the body of Christ. So grab your Bibles, follow along with me. You can see your outline there. We're going to take a look at what it is to enter into the holy place. Number one, we're going to take a look at what it is to worship alongside this holy community. And then number three, we'll get real practical and talk about how to be an exalting community. Uh, So Hebrews chapter 10, let me explain to you before we dig into the details, let me explain to you a bit of the problem. It's what's going on in the context of the book of Hebrews. Um, Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, and we don't know exactly when they wrote this particular book. But what we do know is that this book was written to primarily a Jewish community, a group of Jewish believers. They've come to trust and put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, but now they're facing a problem. And the problem they're facing is that by the threat of persecution, they're being tempted to walk away from their faith in Jesus and return to Judaism. So because of the challenges and the problems of the world, the persecution that they're facing, they're being tempted to walk away from what they know, what they've come to believe about who Jesus is and what he has done, and they're being tempted to return to their old ways of life, the old manners of life in Judaism. And it's really into that problem that the author of Hebrews has been encouraging them all along the way now through chapter 10 
by demonstrating to them the superiority of Jesus. That it makes no sense to go back to what is inferior when you have the superiority of Jesus. And it's in that line of thinking then that we come to Hebrews chapter 10, number one on your outline. Let me read for you Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 21. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let's pause right here. In these particular verses, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's reminding his audience of what is true, of what is reality, of what they have because of the work of Jesus. And we see his emphasis, this emphasis on what is real and what is true by the repetition of that word since. Since it's true that you have confidence to enter the holy place, and since it's true that we have a great high priest in Jesus. He wants them to understand what is true. And let's take a closer look at each of these two realities. Again, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Okay, notice the first reality here identified by that word since. The first thing that the author of Hebrews wants his audience to understand is that they have now open access, confident access to a holy God. Notice as well along the way, and this is true of the entire book of Hebrews, he's using this tabernacle and temple imagery. Remember in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple, uh, the high priest, and he was the only one who could enter into there the holiest of places. It was only the high priest who was able to go in and to stand before the presence of God. Remember a few weeks ago, again, in Isaiah chapter 6, we saw that Isaiah was caught up in this vision that he entered into the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly temple, and he's terrified, right? Because King Uzziah before him, remember, entered into the temple. He offered an incense offering. He wasn't supposed to be there. And as a result, as a consequence of his sin, the Lord struck King Uzziah with leprosy until the day that he died. But notice the shift that takes place here in Hebrews chapter 10. Because of the work of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, the author of Hebrews says, we have confidence not with fear, but we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's not by the blood of bulls and goats, but it's by the blood of Christ. We have confidence to enter into the holiest of inner rings, the most exclusive of inner rings, the very presence of God himself, ultimately because of the work of Jesus. He goes on to explain, he says that Jesus uh, and his blood offers to us, verse 20, a new and living way. And both of these terms, new and living, again, convey this idea of sacrifice. It's a new and living sacrifice, which Jesus inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. 
Again, notice the imagery of the tabernacle and of the, uh, of the veil here. Remember, the veil is that which separated people from the presence of God. But now the author of Hebrews says that we have access through the veil of his flesh. Let me pause right here. I can really go no further in the passage until you come to terms, you come to grips with what the author of Hebrews is here saying. The only way that we can proceed any further, the only way that we can have access to a holy God is if we come by means of his son. And for those of you here in this room, those of you watching online, if you've not really stopped to consider what the Bible says about the death of Christ, that it's only by his death, it's only by his body and by his blood, which is broken and shed for you, that you have access, free and open, confident access to the presence of God. I want to invite you right where you are, right where you're sitting, to simply trust in him, to put your faith in him. And notice what then will be true for you, that you too will have open and complete access to a holy God. That's the first reality that the author of Hebrews identifies with that word since or because. The second one we see there is in verse 21. And since or because we have a great high priest over the house of God. Because we have a great high priest over the house of God. Again, uh, you have to understand that the author of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish community. Some of, these language, some of this language, some of these terms doesn't mean a lot to us, but for the Jewish community, this would have meant a lot. That they, through Jesus, they have now also this great high priest, this one who represents them to God and God to them. And Jesus is the great high priest over the house of God, the entire household of God, the community of faith, all believers. Now pause for just a second and look at what the author of Hebrews is saying here. When you look at both of these statements of what is true, It's true that you have open access to God. It's true that you have a great high priest in Jesus. What I want you to see, what's beautiful here, is that he presents Jesus as both the sacrifice and the priest of that sacrifice. You notice that? He presents Jesus as the sacrifice, the one through whom, not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Christ, that we have complete and open access to God. And he also presents Jesus as the priest who made that sacrifice. It's a beautiful picture of the the full work of Jesus. So to summarize here in these just few verses of Hebrews chapter 10, the author is emphasizing and he's telling his audience what is true. Because of the work of Jesus, because of his sacrifice and because of his priesthood, they have an open access to God. They have a great high priest in him. And these are two realities that the author of Hebrews wants them to realize. Remember last week, I told you the story of my daughter Clara and how at the last soccer game of her season, towards the very end of the game, all season long, she's been waiting to score a goal and never scored, but at the very end of their final game of the season, she took a shot and she scored a goal. Do you remember that? It was incredible. Um, It was the, the time of rejoicing in the Cloud household. We loved every second of it. 
It was our reason that week to celebrate God all day, every day, like we emphasized last week. Now, my daughter, Chloe, my oldest daughter, Chloe, she's also been playing soccer all season. And just like Clara, Chloe has not scored a goal all season long. And yesterday was her final game of the season. And at the beginning of the game, Chloe had an opportunity to score, but she missed. I was devastated. And uh, for a little bit of background, Chloe's on a team that has both boys and girls on it. And some of the boys on this team, they're about my size. I thought there's no chance Chloe is going to score ever this season. Not going to happen. But I'll tell you what, at the very end of the game, the referee shouted out, there's one minute left. One minute left, not only in the game, but in the entire season. And at the very end of the game, with seconds left, Chloe scored a goal. (laughs) What are the chances? Two weeks in a row. So Clara scored final uh, game of her season. Now Chloe scored final game of her season. It was incredible. And uh, last week I told you that Clara, when she scored, she made a beeline for me to the sidelines and she gave me a big hug and we celebrated the fact that she scored. Uh, Well, this week, yesterday, when Chloe scored, she made a line for Hannah, my wife, and uh, gave her a big hug and Chloe was super excited to score a soccer goal. It was incredible. But here's the thing. I wasn't there. I missed it. Um, I took Chloe to the game, but I left early because I went it up to sweat it out at the Byron Nelson Golf Tournament. I abandoned Chloe's soccer game, because I thought, now give me a break. I didn't think there was a chance she was going to score. She's playing (laughs) boys my size. What are the chances, right? Um, But had I known what I was leaving behind, had I known what I was walking away from, of course I would have stayed. Of course I would have stayed. And what the author of Hebrews is here doing, what he's telling his audience, he's, he's highlighting what is true, what is reality, and he's showing to them potentially what they're walking away from. They have complete and open access to God through the sacrificial work of Jesus. And they have in Jesus a great high priest who represents them before a holy God. And instead of walking away from that, What does he want them to do? Let's take a look at number two on your outline. In light of what is real, these realities that they have a confident access to enter into the presence of God, in light of the reality that they have a great high priest in Jesus, what does the author of Hebrews want his audience to do? Verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, the author of Hebrews has laid out two realities. The reality is they have open access to God. They have a high priesthood in Jesus. And based on those two realities, there's three responses we see here, all identified by that phrase, let us. Three responses identified by that phrase, let us. What does he want them to do in light of those realities? He wants them to draw near in faith. He wants them to hold fast to their hope. 
and he wants them to consider how to love, faith, hope, and love. Let's take a look at each. First, verse 22. The first thing that the author of Hebrews wants them to do in light of these realities of Jesus, he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. That's the first thing. Now, as we move through these verses, again, I want you to notice the repetition of that phrase, let us. Repetition, repetition, repetition. He's here speaking to the community of faith. He's not just speaking to individual people. He's speaking to the entire community of faith there. And he's laying out before them what they're supposed to do together in community. And the first thing he says is, I want you together collectively to draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Now, the phrase draw near, we see used in the book of Hebrews and also in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This phrase draw near is used to describe the work of the priests. The priests, remember, they went to the temple, they went to the tabernacle, and they drew near to the very presence of God. And here the author of Hebrews is telling the entire community, not just the pastor, not just the priest, not just one or two people, he's telling the entire community of believers to collectively draw near together into the presence of God. Now for the priest in the Old Testament, when he drew near to the presence of God there in the Holy of Holies, he had to go through all sorts of rituals. He had to wash himself through ritual baptism. He had to anoint himself with a specific oil. And he'd take very careful precautions to enter into the presence of God safely. But I want you to notice what the author of Hebrews says about all of us. As we draw near into the presence of God, he says, draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. In other words, draw near confidently, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. The language and the imagery here in this verse is that of a community of God coming together, a holy community of God. The language here of washing and pure water is language of purification. And listen, as we think about the body of Christ, as we think about the church drawing near together, there is something that I don't quite understand when the body of Christ comes together. It's a pure and holy gathering. It's unlike any other group. It's unlike any other inner ring that C.S. Lewis talks about. It's unlike any social group or country club or anything like that. When the church of Jesus gets together, it is a pure and holy gathering. Something awe-inspiring and amazing takes place when the body of Christ gathers together. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews here is drawing out, that we together, collectively, this holy group of people, draw near to God for worship. That's the first thing, the first response. The second response he identifies, again, with that phrase, let us, we see in verse 23. The second response he wants to see in the body of Christ, he wants them, he says, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So the second response that the author of Hebrews here identifies for his audience, what he wants them to do in light of who Jesus is and what he has done, he wants them to hold fast to the confession of their hope. Remember, these are people who have put their hope, they've put their trust in Jesus. 
They've come out of uh, the ways of Judaism and they've put their hope now in Jesus as the Messiah, but because of persecution, they're being tempted to turn away from that, to abandon their faith in Jesus and return to the ways of Judaism. And the author of Hebrews says, don't do that. I want you to hold fast to the confession of our hope. I want you to hold fast to what we believe about who Jesus is and what he has done. Don't let the worries of the world, don't let the temptations and the persecutions of the world deter you from that. And again, this is a message we need to hear, right? That all around us, there are competing messages. And we, we need to come together as the body of Christ and be reminded of what it is that we believe. And in about a month, I'm going to start the new series on equip, and we're going to preach through the doctrinal statement. I know that doesn't sound super exciting. I'm going to do my best to to make it exciting, to show you not only what we believe, but what difference it makes in our life, why we believe what we believe. And in a similar way of thinking, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, we need to hold fast to the confession of our hope, to what we believe. That's the second response. The third we see there in verse 24 and 25. The third response the author of Hebrews wants to see in his audience in light of who Jesus is and what he has done, in light of the open access, the confident access they have to the holy place and the high priesthood of Jesus. He says, thirdly, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the third thing, the third response that the author of Hebrews wants his audience to do in light of who Jesus is, is to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I love how he says this. The word consider means to give careful thought to, to give careful attention to, to really think through how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And I love that he begins with the mind because it speaks of intentionality. That we have to intentionally think about and plan for how we're gonna stimulate one another towards love and good deeds. I don't know about you, but I tend to be a, half gla- or a glass half empty kind of guy. Um, when I walk in the room, I immediately notice all the things that are broken, like the air conditioner this morning. Um, And so this is an encouragement for me, this verse right here, that I need to be intentional about not just finding the things that annoy me, but to be intentional about finding ways to encourage, to stimulate one another to love and good good deeds, to the good things of what it is to follow Jesus, right? He says, I want you to consider, I want you to be on, uh, to, to really uh, think about how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then notice he explains this in verse 25. How is it we stimulate one another to love and good deeds? He says, by not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a negative and a positive here. He says, hey, I don't want you to forsake the assembling together. Instead, I want you to encourage one another as you see the day drawing near. The word for forsake here, keep in mind, I think what the author of Hebrews here is addressing is these people who are walking away from their faith. Because of the persecutions, because of the challenges of being a Jewish Christian in the first century, 
There's a group of people here, the audience of the book of Hebrews, who are being tempted to forsake their faith, to walk away from the community of faith. And that's what he means by abandoning. Now let's pause right here, and I'll be honest with you, all week long I really struggled with what to say on this verse. Because this verse was used as a, as a way of trying to encourage churches to open their doors again during the pandemic, right? We don't want to forsake the assembling together. And I, and I want to be really careful here. Again, what the context that the author of Hebrews has are people who are abandoning the faith. They're walking away from the community of faith. This is really an issue of apostasy. And hear me out here. Even pre-pandemic, when people could come every Sunday without restrictions, it was possible to not live out the verse here. It was possible to come to church week in and week out pre-pandemic and not stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Likewise, during the pandemic, I think it was possible to still stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And my hope is that now, kind of post-pandemic, we can recommit ourselves to stimulating one another to love and good deeds. One of the lessons that I hope we all learned during COVID is that when the body of Christ gathers together, it is a beautiful thing. It's not something that we should take for granted. And that uh, it is a holy gathering of a holy community when we can freely and safely come together. And again, now that we can do that, I hope we don't forget some of the lessons that we learned during that time of COVID. We, the reality is nothing changes. We can still enter into the holy presence of God. We can still have a, a great high priest in the person of Jesus. We can still uh, be called to draw near together in worship. We can still hold fast to the confession of our faith and we can still stimulate one another towards love and good deeds. Now, I'm grateful that the doors of churches are open again. Um, and it's my hope that as we kind of venture into this post-COVID reality that we recommit ourselves to the passage here. And so with that in mind, let's talk about number three on your outline. We've seen what it is to enter into the holy place. We've seen what it is to be a part of the worshiping holy community there and what we're called to do. But let's talk about what this might look like today. And uh, to get you thinking, I wanna ask you a question. If you were to pick one image or one metaphor to describe the church, what would it be? If you were to pick one image or one metaphor to describe the body of Christ, what would it be? For some people, coming to church might be like going to the theater or going to see a show. You come, you arrive a little early, you find your seat, you watch the show, you get up and you go home, right? That's it. For other people, the church might be like going to the gym. You come, you serve, you frantically run around, you come into the sauna here in the sanctuary, you sweat it out a little bit, and uh, then you go home. But that's the church for you. For other people, the church might be like a classroom. You come, you listen, you learn, you go home, you forget 90% of what you heard. But what we see here in Hebrews 10 and what we see really throughout the New Testament is that the church is a community. 
It's a fellowship. It's a family. It's a holy gathering. These are the common metaphors you see in the New Testament to describe the body of Christ. And what we see here in Hebrews chapter 10, what we're reminded of is that we have confident access to a holy God. We have a great high priest in the person of Jesus. And as the body of Christ, as the fellowship, the community of faith, we're called to draw near to him. We're called to hold fast to what we believe. And we're called to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And as a takeaway, as an application from this, my invitation to you there on the back side of your outline, my um, one thing for you this week is I'd invite you to come to the Arboretum picnic this evening from 5.30 to 8. I know that's a cheap plug, but it's a great opportunity and invitation uh, to bring a picnic dinner, to invite some friends, to enjoy a great time of being with the church family once again in person. Live music and drinks will be provided, and it's surely going to be a great time. But even if you can't come tonight, I do want to leave you with this. As I look out on this room, uh, as I think back now, it's been almost a year since I've been the senior pastor here at Grace, and I couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of this community of faith, to be a part of this body of Christ. I know we're not perfect. We never have been. We never will be. We'll continue to have our struggles. But one of the things I love about this church is that we are a family. We are a community. We have confident access to the ultimate inner ring of the person of Jesus, to the great high priest. And I look forward to, over the many years to come, together drawing near to him, holding fast to what we believe, and stimulating one another to love and good deeds. And I praise God, I exalt God, that I get to do that with you. So let me pray. Father, thank you, uh, indeed, for this body of Christ here at Grace. Uh, thank you that in, despite our imperfections, despite our sin, um, that you love us, you've forgiven us. Father, thank you that we get to be a part of this body of Christ. And God, I pray for our church. I pray for our graduating seniors. I pray for their parents. I pray for all of us. I pray for this entire community that um, we would truly and deeply appreciate what it is to be a part of this inner ring. That we get to come together in person and online. And each and every week we get to exalt you. We get to come together as the body of Christ and uh, we can draw near to your presence. We can hold fast to what we believe. We can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Father, thank you for the precious gift of the body of Christ. And most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, for his death and his resurrection that makes all of this possible. Thank you for your spirit who indwells us, who empowers us to do any of this that we talked about. And we love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.